He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And we are so grateful that Jesus Christ is risen physically and bodily from the dead. If Timothy was like most of us ministers, he had to be very excited. He was commissioned to pastor the church at Ephesus by Paul the Apostle, endorsed and handpicked by Paul. Paul says that Timothy was a man who was like-minded as himself, equipped capable to lead the church of Jesus Christ. He must have been so excited. But it didn't take long for the harsh reality of ministry to set in. The rough and the tumble of ministry had no doubt discouraged him, enraged him, but mostly, in Timothy's case, intimidated him. So much so that Paul ended up having to write a letter to Timothy to encourage him and to remind him that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And that encouragement from Paul the Apostle worked for Timothy for a season, for a while. That message resonated in his spirit, but as is often the case in this journey of faith, the pressures of life began to intensify. Timothy's enemies became even more bold and emboldened and caused Timothy to suffer a lot. Timothy's ascension in ministry and in life is a good analogy of our walk of faith. When we answer the call of Jesus Christ to follow him, when we believe on Jesus Christ, we are euphoric. We are over the moon. But over time, harsh reality begins to set in in this Christian walk. The pressures begin to mount at home and on the job, at the doctor's office. The pressures of life begin to mount on the believer, life is naturally hard for everybody. But when life gets hard for the unbeliever, he has alternatives that he can turn to to relieve his pain if but for a moment, whether through drink or through drugs, promiscuity or gambling. The unbeliever has the ability to rescind all of his previous commitments and start all over again but not the believer. What can the believer do when suffering comes? How can we find rest and peace and recovery when we are suffering? Well, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8 through 10, Paul offers Timothy some advice. As Timothy struggles in life and in ministry, Paul offers this advice to us as well on this Resurrection Sunday. He starts off by saying to Timothy, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony 
of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Do not be put off, Timothy. Do not shy away from declaring the testimony of our Lord. Do not be embarrassed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do not be embarrassed. The testimony of Jesus Christ. This testimony of Jesus Christ consists of two primary confessions. That Jesus Christ was crucified on a cross that he raised physically and bodily from the dead. This is the testimony of Jesus Christ. And Paul encourages Timothy, do not be embarrassed by this testimony. Now, of course, no one would be embarrassed to follow someone who had raised from the dead. This portion of the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ is the part that every believer aspires to, the resurrection. And right now, across the country today, churches are filled with saints and with sinners. Everyone loves to celebrate victory. Everyone wants to be associated with the victory of Jesus on this Easter Sunday. But most churches were not filled for Good Friday. Most believers didn't even go to church for Good Friday, even though there was a service. It is a dark ceremony, Good Friday. It is a depressing narrative. And let's just face it and be honest about it, most people do not want to be associated with a loser. And on Good Friday night, Jesus lost. Most people don't want to be associated with someone who got mugged and arrested and severely interrogated and hung on a tree. No one aspires to be affiliated with such a person. And most people, even believers, would be ashamed to have to experience Jesus' fate. But we know the truth. The truth is that without Good Friday, there is no Easter Sunday. Without pain, there can be no progress in the things of God. We know this, that without death, there can be no resurrection. And so Paul admonished Timothy to not shy away from the testimony of our Lord, the whole testimony. He counsels Timothy to embrace the entire gospel narrative from the celebration of Christ's birth to the pain of his rejection. From the wonders of his miracles to the loneliness of his existence. From the throngs of the crowds that swirled around Jesus to the bitterness of his abandonment by the ones he loved the most. Do not shy away from the whole testimony. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel. To embrace the testimony of Jesus Christ is to embrace the prospect of suffering like Jesus suffered. To embrace the testimony of Jesus Christ our Lord is to joyfully submit ourselves to being misunderstood, defamed, and even ostracized. In other words, 
We are not called simply to agree with the story of Christ's crucifixion. We are called, brothers and sisters, to live it. We are called to live the crucifixion. We are instructed to be prepared to experience the same fate that Jesus experienced and to not shy away. Paul says we are to do this according to the power of God. You ask yourself, how did Jesus do it? How did Jesus keep his head up when it felt like the whole world was bearing down on him? How was Jesus able to continually advance God's kingdom agenda when everywhere he turned, the doors were closed to him? How did he do it? How was Jesus Christ able to undergo the physical and the psychological abuses of Good Friday evening without losing his faith, without losing his mind? How did he do it? Paul says he did so by the power of God that worked within him. And every believer has this same power beating in our hearts. Paul suggests to us in Romans chapter 8 verse 11 that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The power of God that gives us the ability to undergo suffering is none other than the Holy Spirit who lives in us. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit that we overcome. And Paul is getting excited right now. Like clockwork, Paul does what he often does. Whenever he starts talking about Christ, whenever he starts talking about the gospel, Paul veers away from the subject of suffering and takes a praise break to remind us of the great things God has done for us through this gospel this testimony of Jesus Christ. He says that by the power of the gospel, God has saved us, verse nine. By the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, God has saved us from ourselves. By the power of the testimony of Jesus Christ, God has saved us from sin and from the consequences of sin, which includes death and eternal separation from God. By the power of the gospel, God has saved us. Do not be ashamed of this testimony. Because by the power of this gospel, God has also called us, Paul says. And to be called by God is to be invited into relationship with him. The story of the gospel of the life, of the death, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's means of inviting you. Into the story of Jesus Christ. It is this gospel of Jesus Christ that has saved us. It is this gospel of Jesus Christ that has called us. And this calling is the calling that sanctifies us. Paul says that we have been called with a holy calling. In other words, the, the testimony of Jesus Christ calls us, beckons us to a life of holiness. It empowers us to live a life of devotion to God alone, to depend on no other 
call of God gives us the ability to conduct ourselves like Jesus did. Paul goes on to say here that God has called us not according to our own works. He didn't choose us because we were better than other people. God didn't choose me because of some innate goodness that I possess. But God has called us by the testimony of Jesus Christ, Paul says, according to his own purpose. Why does God love us? Well, Paul says God has his reasons. We used to sing the song long ago, I don't know why Jesus loved me. I don't know why he cares. I don't know why he sacrificed his life. Oh, but I'm glad, so glad he did. I don't know why he loved me, but God has his reasons. And God has called you and me according to his own purpose. God has his reasons for sending Jesus Christ into the world. God has his reasons for allowing Jesus Christ to suffer and to bleed and to die. And God has his reasons for raising Jesus Christ from the dead. Paul's going to explain those reasons in just a moment. But he goes on right here to say that God invites us, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and because of his grace, Paul says. In biblical terms, grace, grace can be defined as God's favor toward the undeserving. Theologian John Stott wrote that grace is love that cares and stoops and rescues. I like that. Jerry Bridges describes God's grace as reaching downward to people who are in rebellion against him, the grace of God. Max Lucado says it best in my opinion. Max Lucado says that grace is God's best idea. His decision to ravage a people by love, to rescue passionately and to restore justly. Of all his wondrous works, grace in my estimation, Max says, Grace is God's masterpiece. And this grace, Paul the Apostle says here, this grace was granted to us in Christ Jesus, listen to this, from all eternity. So that grace is God's best idea. Grace is God's only idea and the grace of God is not a new idea. It didn't start with the Gospels. God's plan and God's intention and God's purpose for mankind was always to show us his grace. In fact, the text says here that grace and goodwill toward mankind was always God's intention. This little text right here teaches us two things. First, this tells us that Jesus Christ has existed from all eternity. That Christ is very God. This, was, this grace was granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Christ existed from all eternity. He is very God. Then this text shows us that God's grace has always been hidden in Jesus Christ our Lord since the dateless days of eternity. And as you read the Old Testament, you get glimpses of the grace of God. But it is in the Gospels that the grace of God is on full display in Jesus Christ. 
This grace that has been granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, Paul says. This favor of God toward us, verse 10, Paul says, this grace has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. That the testimony of Jesus Christ is the testament of the and through Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, Paul says, God has abolished death. This was the big idea. Through Jesus Christ, God has abolished death. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ did not just weaken death. It abolished death. It annihilated death. Someone said that death, death is the great limitation that holds sway over all mankind. Before Jesus Christ came into the world, before this grace of God was revealed in Jesus, death was the master over all of humanity. Before the coming of Jesus Christ, the grave was the end of the road. King Solomon, the wisest man in the world, lamented death in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 5 and 6. This is what he said. Solomon said, for the living know that they will die. But the dead do not know anything, nor do they have a reward any longer. For their memory is forgotten. Indeed, their love, their hate, and their zeal have already perished and the dead will no longer have a share in all that is done under the sun. What a depressing state of affairs. And before the revelation of Jesus Christ, this was the only way to understand death. It is the end of the road. That once you die, you lose all consciousness. Once you die, you can no longer experience pleasure or pain. Your mind is wiped clean like a hard drive. You have no share any longer among the living. No inheritance, no prospects, and no future death. But by the resurrection, Paul tells us here that Jesus Christ has broken the power of death. In the resurrection of Jesus Christ, death has lost its sting and the grave has lost its victory. But why did Jesus die? Jesus didn't die for himself. Jesus didn't rise from the dead for himself. As we said, Jesus Christ has existed from all of eternity. It was never necessary for Jesus to die. It was never necessary for Jesus to participate in this mortal life. It was never necessary for Jesus Christ to taste death. It wasn't necessary. He didn't have to do it. He didn't need to do it. By raising Jesus Christ from the dead, God was not trying to prove his power. By raising Jesus Christ from the dead, God was not trying to vindicate himself, no. The historical death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is given to all humanity as a sign. 
The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a message from God Almighty that the limitation of death does not have to apply to you or to me. That we can think beyond, that we can live beyond, that we can plan beyond the grave. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the very property of death has been altered and the power of death has been forever broken. And now instead of an enemy through Jesus Christ, death has become the believer's friend. The entryway by which we pass out of this vexatious world into a world of peace. And the truth is, from a biblical perspective, we don't have to wait until we physically die to experience this new world of peace. But by faith, by faith, each day you and I can choose to die to ourselves. This is the great mystery of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That by faith each day, you and I can choose to die. And even though we freely give up the ghost, we are not consumed, but we rise again in him. In faith and in practice, we, the people of God, are crucified and resurrected in Jesus Christ day after day and year after year. So that the life you see standing before you right now. In fact, the life you see as a believer when you look in the mirror, the life that you see is not your life. It is the life of Jesus Christ. That is the great mystery of our salvation. Because what has occurred from the moment we receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is that we become crucified with him. And Calvin goes to the grave. But Calvin, you're still standing there. No, it's not me. I'm already gone. I stand before you as the resurrected Jesus Christ. The life that I live is not my own. It is Christ Jesus living his life through me. That is the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our faith is not about trying harder, trying harder, trying to do better, trying to get it right. Our faith is not about that. Our faith is a faith of regular and consistent dying so that Jesus Christ can have his way in this world through you. This is what the resurrection is really about. It's not so much about Jesus. Jesus didn't need to rise from the dead. Jesus never even needed to die. But he stands before us as a sign of what has become possible. By his death and by his resurrection, Jesus Christ has abolished death, Paul says. By his death and resurrection, Jesus Christ has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. 
By his death and by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus has shown us another world more clearly than we ever saw it before. By his resurrection, Jesus Christ has removed the veil of all limitation under which humanity has labored for eons with no prospect of reprieve, no prospect of revival. Jesus Christ has taken away the hopelessness of our existence. Jesus Christ, by his resurrection, he has shined a light upon God's original intention for mankind. And it's a good intention. God says, my thoughts for you are thoughts of peace, not of harm. <laughs> to bring you to an expected end. This was God's vision in sending Jesus Christ into the world. This was God's vision in allowing his only begotten son to be crucified on the cross. This was his vision in raising his only son from the dead is so that I could look at Jesus and say, if it was possible for one man, it is possible for me. That though we die, we can live again. And though through the years our bodies begin to send us signals of our eventual decline, we cannot be permanently expired. We will rise again. And absence from the body means presence with the Lord. <laughs> Even after physical death, because of the resurrection, we will still be conscious of the Lord. Even after mortal decay, we will still be able to experience the pleasures of glory. We will eternally have a place among that great cloud of witnesses who have an unobstructed view of our God seated upon his throne. This is what we look forward to. And every once in a while, while we walk this walk of faith, God gives us a glimpse of himself by his Holy Spirit to remind us that no matter how difficult the road may be, you cannot be consumed. You have eternal life. Jesus said it this way, that the kingdom of God is in you. Eternity is in you. <laughs> So we suffer this side of heaven, but we suffer with joyful hearts, looking to and hastening the day of our eternal resurrection through Jesus Christ our Lord. But in the meantime, we reflect on his resurrection as we're doing today. And by the power of God, by the Holy Spirit, we taste that resurrection in this world as often as God's grace allows us to. By faith in Jesus Christ, we have already undergone the resurrection. We are already raised again from the dead. We are already born again. We are already a new creation. And the only way we understand this, the only way we know this, is when we look to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. By the grace of God, we have been given the power to live our lives without the limitations and without the restrictions that mark our fallen family. We live and we walk by faith and not by sight. We recognize by faith things that have not yet appeared. We ignore the conventional means of this world and we view God as the source of all of our peace. The only one who satisfies all of our needs. 
<laughs> Despite any opposition, and regardless of the obstacles that we may face, the resurrection has given us a vision of God. And the light of God is so bright that it blinds us from all of the difficulties of living. It shows us that with God, all things are possible. Even my resurrection from the dead. <laughs> this is the power of the gospel. When it's all said and done at the end of the day, this is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. <laughs> the rules are fine. Memorizing scripture is fine. Theology, at the end of the day, this is the power of the gospel, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, because by it I know that I can rise again, just as my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has risen physically and bodily and historically from the dead. We're living in a day and a time where many Christians are becoming ashamed of this testimony. As the world begins to mock us more and more about our invisible clown in the sky and all these little references they make to our, do not be ashamed of the time. This is the power. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power that transforms lives, that has transformed my life, that has transformed yours. No matter how difficult it gets, let me tell you something, lady, no matter how difficult it gets, the power is in the gospel. The solution is in the gospel, nothing else. If you believe it, you will see the goodness of the Lord in your own life. And your struggles will not be nearly as difficult and bad as they may seem this day. Paul says you'll begin to consider your, your suffering as but a brief and mild thing <laughs> in comparison to the glory that shall be revealed in the resurrected sons and daughters of God. <laughs> this is the power of resurrection. This is why we live. This is the God that we serve, who for our sake sent his only begotten son into the world to suffer, to bleed, to die just so that he could show us that death has no more power over you. I have to stop right there. Man, I could preach right now. Man, I could preach right now. We have to understand this. This is more than just religion. This is life to us. Father God, I thank you for sending your son Jesus Christ into the world. Thank you for your patience with us as we come to understand day after day more fully just what this gospel truly means. I pray for us today, Father God, that Easter Sunday won't just be one day of the year. Pray that we will not only experience Easter in the month of April, 
but that each day we will die to ourselves, that we would die daily so that we can be resurrected and recover in you by the power of your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Give us strength, Lord, for the days that lie ahead. Help us to lean and depend more and more on you each day. Help us to reflect upon the power of resurrection. Help us to anticipate seeing resurrection in our own lives, in our own families. Resurrection of our emotions. Some of us have been sad for a long time. Lord, revive us again. Resurrection in our marriages, resurrection in our families. Hmm. Encourage our hearts by reminding us of the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, and all that it means for each of us. We thank you for all that you've done, for the power that you've demonstrated on the cross and in rising physically and bodily from the dead. We will always remember and give you the praise in Jesus' name.